0: Welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Marie Mjam, founder of I Am The Code. I want to thank you so much for taking this opportunity to support us and really your kindness, your guidance. It really means a lot to me. Thank you for sharing the I Am The Code podcast with your friends, with your loved ones. And I really appreciate all the feedback you've been giving us. It has been really tough. <laughs> I can, I must admit, it's really tough to have a podcast. I've never knew it was tough like this. But if there are anything you can do to help us, please let us know. We're open to ideas. Uh, just let us know. Our resilient souls conversations continue, and in this week's episode, we have two part conversation to keep you going. Make sure you tune in for next week part two. You really enjoy it. I am so grateful to have a conversation with some of the world's most resilient people i've ever met in recent time i got to know them personally learned so much from them really Uh, and it is truly humbling to hear their stories through my podcasts they use their platforms to give people voices and allow a diversity of thought they are humble and kind human beings and i'm so honored to call them my friends you know What I was saying to my friend the other day is that times are really tough at the moment. It's really hard for everyone. And what the coronavirus has done is to divide us, to separate us from our loved ones, the people we used to see all the time and have a drink and and go out with. It's really hard. This is why I think it's important to remain together, to connect, to share, you know, to bring back the empathy, the compassion, and the humanity at the table. And my guest this week has taught me so much about those values, about being generous, dignified, and kind. He is a renowned media personality. He has covered some of the world's most significant events that made our history. Many people may not know this, but he has interviewed world leaders from all walks of life such as late mama Winnie Mandela, Nelson Mandela's wife, Sir Elton John, Annie Lennox, and so many, many people. And what I liked about his interview with Annie Lennox, and you can watch that on YouTube if you want, he was so kind and compassionate, and he listened, and you could see Annie Lennox was so attentive in the questions he was asking about her work on HIV AIDS and the way he was she was talking about her heroes. That interview really summed it up for me i never told him this by the way But when i was looking for impartiality about africa decades ago where africa was viewed as you know war zone countries uh corruption famine you name it i couldn't see anything positive or someone who can actually go and do the reporting in a, in a very ethical way and he was the first person to have demonstrated ethical reporting for me uh, He was gracious, firm, but aware of his calling, and he was really kind. His compassion, his inclusivity, and kindness made me respect him and love him dearly. Here is my conversation with James Chow, the host of China Current and the World Health Organization Goodwill Ambassador. James is extremely busy right now working with world leaders to talk about the coronavirus and trying to find solutions around them. But he has granted me the honor to sit with him to talk about his childhood, his upbringing, all the stuff he has been doing for the over the decades. But above all, why the world need more kind, compassionate and generous souls? And I'm so delighted to introduce you to James Chow, my guest this week. I hope you'll be inspired. And I hope you learn so much from this episode. See you on the other side. Thank you so much for doing this, my friend.
1: I'm delighted. I was thinking today that we are brother and sister in a few different ways, but primarily in friendship and in what we do. So it means a lot to me that you're doing this and I could be a small part of your podcast.
0: So very good to speak to you. You know, I'm so excited. I can't believe we're doing this. You know, James, um, the reason why I wanted to have you on, I don't know if you remember. The first day I met you, I can start crying by just thinking about it. You were so lovely, so amazing. You asked me to come and sit next to you. It was an event, um, a Young Global Leader event. And uh, you came to me and you gave me your hand and you told me, come and sit next to me. I will never ever ever for you know forget that. I just wanted to say that before we start the podcast. <laughs> I don't well, know I'm, very, remember.
1: <laughs> I'm very proud of our friendship. And probably this wasn't the first time, but I do remember another time when we were together in China in Dalian, which is I think probably the last time I saw you yep. a couple of months ago. And and it just makes me feel very proud to be able to sit next to you. You're a person who carries dignity embodies that in what you do but also you exercise it you practice it so for me I think the gift is mine
0: that was really amazing and then I, I was saying to my to my team I said oh who are you going to interview this week we're going to interview this I said this amazing guy uh, called Jem Shao, in a really really amazing and I think um, that's why I wanted you to talk to the girls and the podcast we're doing today is about um, you know getting people like you who have done so much for the world um, in representing us, representing the voiceless people, and uh, and so let's start. Tell me a little bit about your early life, and you know, and and how did you start it? Uh, what is your career path?
1: Well, Mariam, I grew up in London, and my father was born in Hong Kong. My mother was born in Indonesia, and she later on went to live in Malaysia and also Singapore. So I always view my childhoods not only in the lens of london and the uk but how my parents found themselves to be in england in london which was the center of this idea of an empire and i was a byproduct of that and in many ways that mindset shaped my childhood i was very fortunate to go to schools which provided me with an excellent education i'm very grateful to my teachers but at the same time It was difficult growing up in England in the 1980s Mm -hmm. and looking the way that I do, meaning being of East Asian descent. It was very difficult. It was a school of about 800-plus boys, and I think there were only three of us who were of East Asian descent. And then you remember at the time, racial discrimination laws were still very much in their infancy. It wasn't like the UK today. And so I think... I saw myself really as an outsider. And later on, that provided a thread mm. that tied to my work in uh, HIV and AIDS primarily. Um, I am not someone who's living with HIV. So, how did I, how was I able to understand this disease? It's because the stigma and the discrimination continues to be the biggest barrier to treatment. And we're seeing this all over again, as you can see, Marion, with COVID 19. It's just the idea and the reality of being the odd one out. The only happy school years was when I went in parallel with my day school to the Royal Academy of Music. Uh, I studied the piano. Mm-hmm. And it was a hugely wonderful time there. The teachers were great, but also my classmates were wonderful. Because when you go to a conservatory where you're accepted on merit mm-hmm. and where you are studying something like music, which a lot of people don't do to that level, it becomes a democracy. It becomes an environment where you earned your way in, where no matter your background, no matter what your last name, no matter what you look like, how big your bank account is, you're there because you're accepted for your talent Mm. and for your skill. And so not surprisingly, people there were a lot kinder, more compassionate. I saw that there and I saw that later on at university. Uh, where I went to Cambridge, Uh, I went to London first and then in Cambridge, but really in Cambridge, because I was so far away from home and because you're living with everyone, again, you saw it where people were very kind, very gentle towards one another. So I think that really sums up my earlier years. Wow,
0: that's, that's really amazing. And you know, that comes across your, your, your kindness and your empathy, your compassion, the fact that you can you know i, I you know you can really identify the odd ones in a group <laughs> and then give them this love, and I think that for me. You know, that sums up who you are. I always like, James always give makes you feel comfortable. You know, whenever I meet you at, you know, at like these big events with these big people, you always like, you know, come and give me a hug or, you know, hold my hand and say, come here. And, and it's, you're, it's, it's you're the you. big person <laughs> at those big events
1: for me. You are. You really are. It's really amazing. You've, <laughs> you, you've made something of yourself. And that's what I hope all the, young women and girls listening to this podcast now will be able to take that away from your life marion that no matter what circumstances you're born into what really matters is how you exit that life what you did in between you know if you imagine a gravestone you see the year of the birth for example 1923 to say 2020 it's not really the beginning or the end that really matters. It's that dash, that line in between the two years that really count because that represents what you did with your life. And I've seen it time and again, and very much with your own example, Mariam, that you can really make something of yourself.
0: And I think that's why I really wanted to, uh, you know, get you to come in and, like I said earlier, to talk to the girls. And, and I'm gonna now go to your journalism world. How did you become a journalist? You know, you know, I saw you. I saw so many interviews of you, world leaders, and you know, really great people. Um, and uh, you know, I, I know you ask very tough questions and seek accountability. But at the same time, you really add some love and compassion and kindness into it. They listen to you. Uh, you know, how did you manage to, um, you know, to do that? And how how did you become a journalist?
1: First of all, I always invite someone to be part of an interview. I don't assume that they say yes and I treat them like a guest. So mm-hmm. I would treat someone uh, in the same way in an interview as I would if they were coming into my home. And you know, our cultures are where you give the best to your guest as the host. Mm-hmm and where you also understand that it's not that person's obligation to accept an interview, but rather it's a privilege that they did. So I think if you walk in with that mindset, you go in with a gracious and an open heart. Someone told me, um, a friend of mine from Ghana, he said to me a few years ago that when you interview people, you make them look better than they really are. (laughs) But I take that as a compliment because I do want to see And extract the goodness in everybody. It lives in almost all of us and um, that's the purpose of doing an interview to me. How did I start? Going back to your first question, I was writing in high school and then in university where I first went to King's College London and then at Cambridge. So for the different student papers, for the music section, for the news features section, Um, doing a lot of interviews, because I've always been very curious about people, about people's lives. And to be an interviewer, I would say more than a journalist now, Mm -hmm. is that you are given that mandate to be able to sit across from someone. You're sitting maybe, I don't know, a foot apart, two feet apart, sometimes very close Mm -hmm. to a person that you've never met. And you are asking them questions that, perhaps even their own friends and family wouldn't ask them. What gives you that right? Well, you have a mandate, but you also frame it with respect and also purpose. I believe that you can ask anybody anything so long as you do so with those two things in mind, with respect, but also with a purpose. So they understand that you're not trying to catch them out, that you're not trying to trip them up, but you are sincerely interested in what they have to say, it brings me back to Robert Mugabe, who at that time was the president of Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. and I met him in New York in his hotel.
0: Yeah, I saw
1: your and interview. A, <laughs> yes, I know. Well, he was, you know, one of the one of the dominant figures of Africa pre independence, uh, through independence, and and after that. Of course, a very complex life as well. And it was unique to be able to interview him in America because of course he's not allowed into the States unless it was for the United Nations. So there was an opportunity. I sat down with him. He terrified me quite a lot. He's actually smaller, shorter than you think. But he really walks with his back straight and with his head up, he really had, You know, he commanded respect from you when he walked into a room. And there were all kinds of questions I wanted to ask him. But I remember thinking that you can ask anybody anything, even Robert Mugabe at a time when he had a very complex relationship with media, so long as you did so, again, with respect and with purpose. I would just say the last thing, Maryam, about the love and compassion that came from my parents. They gave me a lot of that. So did I was going to
0: ask mom. you, actually, is it your mum your hero? Who is your hero? I know that you do talk about your mum quite a lot. <laughs>
1: so well, I I'm arranged sorry. an opportunity for you both to meet one another. I'm sure she would love to meet you and your son because, you know, she knows your story. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when you come from that background of love, if yeah. you are so lucky to have that, but also where your parents tell you, that you need to share that with one another. You know, that's the way we've always been in our culture is that if you open something up, you offer it to the person first. If I'm sitting with my mother and I open something, I always give it to her first. It would be just not, I wouldn't say rude, but just so unnatural Mm. to just take the first piece myself, but also on the underground, on the bus, when we travelled here and there, they would do that with perfect strangers around you. So that kindness is not only to... um, to people that you know, but especially to people whom you've never met before. This also reminds me of a very dear friend of mine called Jeanne de Biolet, a Belgian living in Beijing. Mm-hmm. And she told me once a few words that changed my life. She said, You can never regret generosity. No. Um, so don't worry if you feel that you did a little too much or you feel that you were not appreciated because that gift that you gave someone of generosity is never to be regretted. You did your part.
0: Wow. That's that's uh, that's amazing. And you know that, that make me is is making me think about today the world we're living in, you know, the world of clicks, and you know, so many things happen so fast, and it's amazing that you just mentioned that, uh, you know, about your parents. and And do you do you feel that your parents are your heroes?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they gave me life. I mean, mm. they gave me that gift to begin with, so I'm fortunate therein, of course, you know, in the sense of. Heroes. I'm always a little bit hesitant about using that word mm-hmm. um, because when we say it, Marion, and when you say it, I understand exactly what you mean. Yep. And, I, and I take it completely and I embrace it. Mm-hmm. But so much and so often in this culture of what you say, this click culture where mm-hmm. we just chase after something, heroes, as you know, can be very liberally applied to a lot of people. And I worry that when we do put the label of heroes on certain people, then we've idolized them Mm -hmm. and we no longer hold them to the same values that we hold ourselves to. But in your context of how you're expressing it, Mm -hmm. absolutely, they're my heroes. And there's so many heroes in my life because I'm here today. I have this opportunity to to know you as a friend, uh, to know you now as a conversant in this interview without my opportunities in terms of education and work I would never have met you
0: you know I I, the reason why I use the word hero because I saw so many work you've done in campaigning for uh, you know HIV uh, so many illnesses the interview you had with uh, you know so many people really, including Annie Lennox. And I remember you asking her this deep question. She nearly, you know, she nearly cried actually, uh, the interview and, and you ask her, you know, who were her heroes on, in the HIV world. And she mentioned this grassroot people, uh, the people she met in slums in township of South Africa. And that really touched my heart. You are one of the people I really see, uh, I respect because, as a campaigner uh, and as an activist, uh, I want to tell our girls, uh, you know, how it's important to raise your voice. So if you, if you have anything uh, you can share around your activism, what would you say to our girls right now who are sitting in slums, in favelas, in difficult places, James? Uh, what would you say to those young girls and boys?
1: Well, girls and boys, I'm so privileged to be able to meet you here because of Miriam's kindness and generosity. And we do these interviews and I interview people and I'm being interviewed now. It's because we want to share something. It's not just so that we can say, we interviewed Annie Lennox or Robert Mugabe or Winnie Mandela. It's because we have a sincere interest in that person's life and wanting to be able to contribute to it and to shape it and to participate in this global future that's in our hands. And for everybody, particularly in Latin America, in Asia, and also in the African continents, you are on the cusp of greatness. You are young populations, dynamic communities, and are innovating so many of the technologies and just ways of doing things that all of us are trying to replicate in the world. I think it was incredible for me growing up in Europe and in in one of the great centers of the world, London. But at the same time, we fear being left behind because we do things in a way that's been framed around history and civilizations. and In a way, we're scared to just go with it and to have the freedom of thinking and to be able to create um, the ideas that sit in our minds. So I would say, first of all, you are on the cusp of greatness and you will be the greatness on that next step. Secondly, be always aware of who you surround yourselves with. My father used to say to me, nothing ever good happens at night. Well, now I partly disagree with that because I've had lots of fun times, you know, with friends. But the idea of it when he told me that when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, around that period, was that you had to be very, very careful with who you spend time with because you're giving them the gift of your personality, your trust. And your person and you need to protect not only your character and your values but you need to protect your bodies as well so be very careful who you spend time with because I think always in selecting your friends you always admire those people so for example why would I want Mariam to sit with me and why am I so grateful when she does it's because I aspire to something in Mariam her trustworthiness her dignity, her respect for other people, but also because she's a very, very hard worker. Um, And those, those are the qualities that I'm drawn to. I think that we end up being friends with people who we aspire to be. There's an element in them that we're drawn to and we admire it. It's not jealousy. There's a difference between jealousy and envy. Envy is when you say, oh, wow, you know, Mariam she's so successful I envy her success and I wish I had it but for jealousy would be Mariam has a success and I just wish she didn't have it and I don't want her to have it Those Uh are two very fine things so I think friendship is about championing one another Uh and pushing each other up and elevating one another and it can be very very natural as well it doesn't need to be a concerted intent so I would say Be selective, respect yourself by respecting who you choose to spend time with, who you open your lives to. And I would say also, you just work very hard. Working hard can bring you anywhere in the world. It can carry you to places. Education is the key that unlocks. And I know some of you are listening in Kenya where you're going to the Angelina Jolie school. You have great lives ahead of you. Study hard, respect your teachers, and just keep going. Don't stop.
0: I'm sure the girls will appreciate that. The at the moment, they're very scared. Uh, they're very um, worried about this coronavirus thing. How can we make sure that uh, you know there's no stigma attached to the coronavirus? And uh, you know, just like the HIV, what would you say to the girls to really not think about stigma and and just keep going?
1: Coronavirus is. Um, it's it's like the plague, it's brought us to our knees in Mm -hmm. the words of a friend Latifa. She said, it's humbled us, it's it's shaken us, it's put us in grief. And we're mourning our own families and friends right now. But at the same time, we're thinking, how am I gonna get past this? How am I going to earn a wage? Am I going to be able to maintain the shelter that I have? And not only for me quite often, but for members of my family, for other members of our community. It's a very, very tough time now. And I want you to remember that you're not alone. I don't have the answer for you. And nobody does because we don't know everything about this virus. We don't know all we should know about the way it behaves. We don't know whether there's going to be a second wave, a third wave. We don't know how long this current emergency is going to last. So I would be lying to you. I would be very dishonest if I told you that I had the answer right now because I don't, and nobody does, but we are a world that is drawn around the values of the United Nations, where our human rights are held sacred in its charter, where our health is protected by the World Health Organization, where our trade is promoted by the WTO. Mm -hmm. We have also many, many legal frameworks, and they're not all perfect in practice, but no one is going to forget you. We know that when we tell everybody to wash our hands, you may or may not have access to clean water. When we tell you to stay indoors, you may not have a roof over your head. That when we ask you not to go out, you may be stuck at home with an abuser, when we ask you not to go to school, you may not have a tablet device or internet connection to take online classes. We know all of that, but yet we will not forget. And that is why we won't forget what you're going through right now. When we think about refugees, sometimes survival is only guaranteed by movement, physical movement. And now we're telling you not to move at all, to stay still, because we can't even move ourselves. I don't have the answer. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I will tell you that you're not alone.
0: But James, I think this is why what you're saying right now is is so important. You being a United Nations Google ambassador, and I think your voice has been heard loud and clear so in so many many ways and you've been interviewing people and you know I am the code is working for UNHCR that's why we go into the Kakuma refugee camps in in Kenya in Dadaab where you know there are over 200,000 refugees and um you know I want to talk about I want to talk about political leadership a little bit I know you met so many leaders around the world what can we do to improve the life of uh, young women and girls in refugee camps in slums in favelas it's really get, hard out there more, what can we do get
1: more women in leadership positions at every level, mm. especially at political levels, but not only in, uh, as presidents and prime ministers, as heads of state and heads of government. That is absolutely essential because those are the individuals that are the gathering point for their cabinets, for their administrations, who are drawing up public policy and in doing so are shaping our opportunities, or in some cases not. We've seen, Mariam, in mm. this COVID response, that the countries that are leading ahead other countries where there are women who are either in the poll position or who are amongst those leading the general response. So for example, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand where they've had less than 20 deaths. I would say New Zealand and Norway are the two countries where you've seen very, very low numbers of both infections and mortalities, because these are two countries that went hard and went early in their global response. They didn't look back, they didn't wait for the epidemic to land mm-hmm. on their doorstep, they took decisive action. So, we do need more women in these leadership roles, and they're not being allowed in. These are two countries with smaller populations, but who are punching above their weight on the global stage, that are truly creating transformations. And so I think that's the first step, get more women in. But also at the same time, why are so many girls around the world not even making it through primary school, elementary school? So you can't just talk about the girls who went to Stanford or Carnegie Mellon or to Oxford and Cambridge. It's not just those girls and young women that I'm speaking about. If you don't complete your education at elementary level, you're never even going to get to the university level.
0: No, absolutely. What would you say to your younger self? Uh, now we now the boys and the girls are listening to you.
1: <laughs> I would say, don't think too much. I, I'm a great overthinker, and sometimes that creates obstacles for myself when those obstacles may not even exist. I would say go for it a little bit more, participate a bit more, don't be as self-conscious as I was growing up. And I would say also, just be a little bit more confident. I grew up with, uh, up until probably my late 20s, maybe a little bit more into my 30s with very, very deep insecurities. And the, the beauty of that is that it makes you a very sensitive person, especially to other people. But I've grown out of it um, because I realized there's no, really, no reason really to be insecure about many things. Um, when you get older, uh, you realize that who likes you or doesn't like you in class <laughs> really matter very much. Uh, we do. We can. see
0: that right now, doing in the world, right in our world. We do see that. Yeah, yes, we do.
1: <laughs> and so stay also, If you don't get picked for the soccer team or for James will team, pick you. Those,
0: James will pick you. I, I, I would James pick care. you <laughs> yeah,
1: if you would like to join our team. Like, don't worry too much. We'll, we'll pick you. We'll those. pick you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, Auntie Mary and Uncle James will take care of you.
0: Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And
1: we'll go somewhere cooler than uh, <laughs> where those who who didn't pick you, we're going to take you too. Um, but you know, don't worry so much about those things. Um, and 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 also I would say that and this is what I learned later on that quite often when people are unkind, it can be for a very good reason. It's a, it's a pressure or it's an experience or it's a trouble they're going through. And while that's not an excuse necessarily for the way that they behave towards you, Just remember at the back of your mind that a lot of people don't intend to be unkind. It's just a moment that they're experiencing in life that may make them make poor decisions.
0: And the other thing I also, I think to add just to what you said, is that, uh, you know, that's why they need to speak up as well. You know, people like you who've been campaigning about so many things, they they need to speak up. I I heard you at um, One World talking about... um, you know, the fragility of life, and 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 you know, making sure that we talk about climate change issues, the the key topics that we really uh, should, the children and the girls and the boys should talk about. Um, do, what did you mean by that? You know, were you were you encouraging the the, the girls and the boys to become activists and campaigners? You know, uh, and to go and 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 speak up about uh, those issues. What is that what you meant?
1: I, I don't think all of us need to. And I don't think that you need to necessarily have the professional label of an activist. I think campaigner is a very beautiful word, though, an advocate. But I think in your day-to-day life, as Mariam said just there, to stand up and to be ready to be counted. You know, life, and I've learned this again over the last couple of months, is not about making popular decisions. It's about making the right decisions, and right decisions not only for yourself, but for the people around you. So think about the impact that every choice that you're making has not only on yourself, but the people around you and the people around you, are often the people that mean the most to you, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your friend. Um, So don't worry about making decisions that will make other people happy. Worry about making decisions that are the right decisions that will carry through. And that one day in 10 years or 20 years, you'll be able to look back and said, you know, I made the right decision then. And I'm very proud of that. I can stand by it. As Maren was saying, we live in this culture of click, where it's all about impressing and standing out and capturing someone's attention in the first five seconds because you're afraid they'll lose attention and go to another YouTube channel, for example. Actually, life is about consistency. And it's about finding the people in your lives who make good decisions time and time again. And even if they don't make good decisions, who try to make good decisions. You respect somebody, you open yourself up to them. And you're drawn to them. And that's why if I do it the first time, I'll do it a second time and a third time. And it's not only, and you're so kind, man, you always say that I'm the one who's doing this, but you're the one who lets me, who receives the love, to understand that I come there in a spirit of goodwill, in friendship, and more and more like family in the way that we interact with one another. Um, but you get it. And, and, but you are a giver, what, James,
0: you are a giver. You know, I, I know you're very humble, but you are a giver because I think that's why I said to, when, when we were doing our research the other day, and I said, don't do a lot of research about James. I know him and I want to talk to him from heart to heart. And, and I think this is why you, do, uh, you are a giver, and you do really keep the... Con- I don't see this sort of leadership, we just discussed leadership now, but I don't see because, this consistency. Because,
1: Mariam, I'm a giver because you can never regret generosity. Yeah, true, true. Never regret it. You know
0: when I was saying, I was, uh, I was doing an interview the other day and someone said to me, you know, what was the thing, what was the one thing in your life when you were growing up that really messed you up as a child? The lack of stability, consistency, and, and someone giving me love. And uh, it, it does come across exactly, as you said, stability, consistency. That's what our girls right now need. These young girls living in, in favelas, in slums, living in difficult lives. They need tranquility, stability, someone to give them love and, and care. Uh, and I think that's why I wanted just to, to, to really interview you. Uh, I've got just one more question for you. Um, how does one become uh, James Shaw?
1: Don't get distracted by People, don't get distracted by unkindness, don't get distracted by other things. Prioritize in your life what's important. So that's very easy. It sounds like a big thing, but it's not. So when you wake up in the morning, you decide for yourself Mm -hmm. what is going to be the most important thing that you have to do today. Mm -hmm. Also, before waking up the night before, if you're worried about something, put it out of your head. Mm -hmm. You cannot do anything about it at night, but you can put it out of your head and postpone it and say, I know it's important, but I'll get to it tomorrow morning. And in the interim, you have good physical sleep that's going to restore you, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally, that's going to make you more resilient and Mm -hmm. bring you towards resilience. And when you wake up in the morning, you know, when you're tired, never make a good, never make a decision postpone it. And if someone forces you to make a decision, you just say, well, I can either say no now, or you could wait tomorrow from when I'm ready to give you a decision. So in a way, you're you're commanding respect, but you're doing it in a way that's gentle, but also a little bit firm. Be consistent. Now, how do you do that? You just don't get distracted. You know, a lot of things that are done and said especially now around COVID, mm-hmm. are designed to distract people. True. One That's thing great. that we're seeing is that people are saying, who's to blame? Where did it come from? How did it come from? I mean, right now the house is on fire.
0: My God! So in the
1: middle of a fire, while you're trying to get the hose pipe out and pour water <laughs> over the building to put the fire out, you're standing outside the house complaining about each other and asking so... each other, you're to blame or to blame, do that at another time. And I'd also say, This may or may not speak to consistency, but look to your foremothers and your forefathers. The history that came before you- People that paved the way for us. They they Mm. did that, they did that, and not all of it is good. It's not always a positive experience, even from your own parents, not even from your own siblings. That may or may not be the case, but learn from history, respect history, And if you look at history and you take out the first two letters, you're left with the word story. You have the ability to write your own story and you will write your own story, but value your story, hold it tight, keep your body precious to yourself, nurture it, treat all the things around you, your soul, your body, your mind, as your temple. You nourish it, you respect it. If you respect it, you wouldn't be going eating fried chicken every day for example but that's the type of thing that I would have done and that's what I did before until I learned later on that we are blessed with a body we're blessed with a good active mind now what you have to do is like going to the gym you work it out you train it you build the inner muscles you make yourself resilient
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, thank you so much, James, for sharing your wisdom with our young girls and boys. And thank you for your time. Uh, I know for fact that when poverty is not addressed for decades, the next generation suffers. Uh, you know, at I Am The Code, I don't know if you know this, but we have launched well-being clubs for young girls and boys to, uh, just to your point, really, to talk about their bodies, to be, to be consistent, Uh, to be patient, uh, you know, and and to look after their mental health, which is something that we will need uh, post-COVID-19. So thank you again, James. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me, Mariem Jam, your host. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. Join me next week for another I Am The Code episode. I would like you to stay resilient. Keep going for your dreams. Don't let anyone stop you. But above all, be kind to yourself and to your loved ones. They need it right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Mjam or follow IamThecode.org on Twitter or Instagram. I want to say thank you for being here.